0: Turn in your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17. Last week we looked at verse 16, making the most of your time, for the days are evil. Chapter 5, verse 17 says, So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Wouldn't it be awesome if you could... Never, ever, ever, ever again put your foot in your mouth. Now, wouldn't it be awesome if you could never, ever, ever, ever be foolish? And this verse says, you can do that. You can live without foolishness if you could just understand what the will of the Lord is. So if you're going to make the most of your time, do it in in a non foolish way so then don't be foolish and the way to not be foolish is to understand what the will of the lord is we ought to be able to do that god assumes we can do that he's explained that to us um it's back when i was playing checkers or chess growing up it always impressed me that person that would come up behind you you know that person that that was just smart and they would look down at you playing chess or checkers, and they'd say, I could crush this in three moves, you know, kind of thing. And it just always impressed me that, that somebody could think that way. They were thinking three moves out. They weren't thinking about the next move. They were thinking about, you do this, your opponent does that. Then you do this, and they will do that. And then you do this, and bam, you won. And I'm thinking... You've already thought that all the way through. Wouldn't it be cool if we could know how people are going to adjust to what we do, and then we're going to adjust, and then they're going to adjust, and then we're going to adjust, and we're right on track. That's the kind of thing God says you can do. You don't make a move and you're foolish. Life is about choices. We've got lots of choices, and we have to choose what is the will of God. When you're going home today, when I'm going home, if I'm going up Highway 81, I've got choices. I can choose to uh, drive five miles under the speed limit. And when I choose to do that, everybody around me has to adjust. That dumb insult, why is he going so slow? You know, we're going to go around him. Or I can choose to go five miles over the speed limit. What's he doing driving so fast? He's going to kill somebody. You know? And people adjust. Whatever you choose to do, other people choose to respond. God says, don't act foolish. Know what the will of God is. If you make your choices in the will of God, it, you don't come out looking or being foolish. Wouldn't it be awesome if we could do that? Look at Colossians chapter uh, 4, verse 12. Great verse. Colossians 4, verse 12. Here we get to read about a man named Epaphras. And Paul says of him, Colossians 4 verse 12, Epaphras, who is one of your number? So he's obviously not in the church at Colossae, and yet Paul says he is. He says, he's one of you. He's a Christian. And this Christian, maybe he is in the church, he's just not with him. He's a bond slave of Jesus Christ, sends you his greetings, Notice this, he's always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers, that you may stand perfect and fully assured in all the will of God. Now, when I read that about Epaphras, I immediately said to myself, I like this guy. I like this guy. Because, number one, he understands that prayer is work. And he gets up in the morning working for the church. He says he is always laboring, working earnestly. He's putting a lot into this. And what he is doing is he's praying for his church. I thought about that verse yesterday morning at um, 6.30 when I was sitting in the dark in a deer stand. And I tried to go through the church directory, starting with A. So I, can I pray through The body of Christ at New Covenant. How many of you can I remember and can I earnestly ask God to enable you to be fully confident in what the will of God is? That's what Epaphras was praying for. God, I I want the members of New Covenant to stand perfect, fully assured. In the will of God. So most of you. I didn't remember you all. Sorry. uh, But most of you were prayed for. Earnestly. Yesterday. And I like. That there's members of the body of Christ. Like Epaphras. Who gets that, that. That we are here. On this earth. For the pleasure of God. To do his will. And our goal in life. I don't know why it is so many churches think that the reason they exist is to count decisions and to count baptisms. That is not the reason we exist. You don't find that in Scripture, that we are here to count decisions or to count baptisms. Uh, Yes, the Great Commission says, go into all the world, make disciples and baptize them. Yes, we should baptize, but baptize is just to, to get us into the covenant community. And once in the covenant community, the Great Commission says, Making a disciple is teaching them everything whatsoever I have commanded. And so we should be a church that's, that's teaching all the commands, all the will of God, so that we stand perfect, fully confident we are in the will of God. That's what the church is to be doing. That's what this church does. And so we labor together to stand fully confident in the will of God. Do we know the will of God? Do we know how to make choices that are going to have us fully confident? This is what God wants me to do. I'm confident in that. If I do this, if I make this choice, I will stand perfect. I will stand before him as one who made the right choice because this is the will of God. Whatever your decisions are today. Suppose you got some big decisions, but it doesn't really matter. Maybe they're little decisions. But if you're trying to choose, you know, what college to go to, what car to buy, what house to buy, who to marry, who to date, whether to date or not. I mean, or if you're trying to choose what you're going to eat this afternoon, it, it doesn't really matter. What is the will of God? And there're ways to determine that. God wants us to stand in his will always. So I want I want to break that down for us this morning. How do we live with confidence this is the will of God, the choice I'm about to make? We cannot do that unless we understand two basic principles. I call it the sovereignty principle and the responsibility principle. The first is the sovereignty principle, and that is God is sovereign over all of creation. If you want to stand in his will, you have to know what his sovereign will is. If you don't think about his will, then you're going to crash and burn. If your will is not his will. Because you're running contrary to his will. Um, it always amazes me sometimes what makes the news. Have you noticed that it always seems to always make the news when a rich person, you know, multi-millionaire, is frustrated? If we have a multi-millionaire entertainer of some sort and they lose a house or they lose a case or they lose something, they're frustrated, they lose a spouse, they lose whatever, it makes the news. Why does that make the news? It makes the news because we believe this, this lie that money is the answer to everything. And so we have somebody who has money and yet they're frustrated we say, So what gives? I thought money was the answer to everything, and yet you're frustrated. Money's not the answer to everything. And some people who have money think, well, I've got it all. I can do whatever I want, and they choose to do certain things, and then they run into a head-on collision with God, and they're frustrated. Why? Because their will and God's will don't match up. We get frustrated when our will is not God's will. So you've got to understand The sovereignty principle. That God is in charge. And he has planned certain things out. If you run contrary to that, it's not going to end well. By the way, uh, can I take a commercial break? In just about uh, three weeks, four weeks, there's going to be a new discipleship class on God's sovereignty. Maybe not the best class in the church to take, but it's a good one. Okay? Mark and Joe are going to teach it, I think. so. Yeah, But anyway... How can you live life if you don't understand the sovereignty of God? Your will is not going to be God's will if you don't get this. So first of all, think about if I'm going to do the will of God, I've got to know what it is. I've got to know God's sovereign. Look at 1 John chapter 2. Well, excuse me, before I get there, let's deal with the sovereignty. Look at Matthew. Jumping ahead. Let's. I've already given some of you the U version uh, uh, app, so let, let's just go through that order. Ephesians 1, verse 11. Ephesians 1, verse 11. I want you to just read some verses on sovereignty with me. Ephesians 1, verse 11 says, uh, Also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things. How many things? All things. After the counsel of his will. Uh, if he's working all things after the counsel of his will, we kind of need to n- to know what his will is. Look over at Matthew chapter 10. Very practical illustration of this. Matthew chapter 10, verse 29 and 30. It says, Are not two sparrows sold for a cent, and yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. God knows the hairs on my head. God knows the birds are gonna fall. You know, have you ever been driving down the road and one of these little tweety birds, or even even just one of those big bugs hits your grill, bam! It's like God knew that. God did not notice that. He knows when his creatures fall, when they splat. He knows that. He knew we would be going down the road at that moment. He knew that creature would be right in front of us at that moment. He can't know that without being sovereign. Look at Psalm 139, verse 16. We looked at that last week. Psalm 139, verse 16. Put us in the picture. It says about God, Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me. Not just the years, but the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. How could you know all the days of my life before the first one? You would have to be sovereign to to know that, and if you already know the days, then uh, that would be neat to know. Look at Isaiah, chapter 46, verse 9 and 10. Isaiah 46 says, "Remember," Verse 9, Remember the former things long past, For I am God, there is no other. I am God, there is no one like me. This is his illustration of that. Declaring the end from the beginning. And from ancient times things which have not been done. Saying, my purpose will be established. And I will accomplish all my good pleasure. Will God do his will? Yes. Does God have a will? Yes. Does God know what his will is? Yes. He says, who, who, who is like me? Who can say, way back in the ancient of times, I'm going to do this 2,000 years from now, and it happens? Who even knows that yet? There's nobody like me. I am sovereign. I know the beginning from the end. Um, let's just go ahead and say it. God is a micro-manager of His creation. He knows every single part. He knows what He's planned. He knows what He's planned to do with what He's planned. He knows the choices we are making. He's that person behind me at the chessboard saying, I can finish this in three moves. And He can. Because He knows all the possibilities. He knows the choices we're going to make. He knows where He's headed. He knows where we're headed because we're in His hands. We're His creatures. Now, if He knows everything and we don't consult Him and we just make choices, we're going to end up being foolish because we're not going to always make the choice that's His will. His will is going to happen. It can't be thwarted. Um, when I was growing up, my dad knew somebody um, off the Lawrence, Lawrence Road there in Greenville, and, and we used to go visit him. I, I never will forget he's one of these people' who was my worst nightmare, you know At the time, I was about five, nine, 140 pounds. and this guy's son, who I had to play with, because dad had to visit, you know, this guy's son was six foot 300 pounds. Now take particular notice of the fact that he's at least. Well, he's more than twice my weight, okay? And he always wanted to play. You know what the game was then? It's called King of the Hill, all right? And he had a big hill in his yard. Or we'd play it in the house. He'd get on the bed. Okay, see if you can get up here. You know, and as long as he maintained his balance and understood the laws of gravity, he could just slap me down. There was no way... I could get on the hill if he was already there. He just had to use sheer strength, just brute size, really, to, to maintain his position. And, and I realize God's that way. He's so much bigger and greater that if I'm going to get on the top of the hill, I need to be invited up. It's only at his good pleasure. I can't make choices that are going to get me there if he doesn't want me there. I need to know what his will is. What is his pleasure? Because I will live or die. I'll either be slapped down or invited up at his good pleasure. You're not going to know the will of God, succeed in the will of God, if you don't think about the sovereign God. And His plan and will for us. And He does have one. Look at Hebrews chapter 13. Sometimes I end the service with this. Hebrews 13 verse 20 and 21. Right out of Scripture it says, Now the God of peace. That's good to know. He doesn't want to fight with me. The God of peace who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant. Even Jesus our Lord. What does He want to do? Equip you in every good thing to do His will. Working in us that which is pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. God wants to equip us to do His will. Going contrary to His will will not end up well. God manages His world, He is sovereign. People say, "Well, that makes you a robot. No, it doesn't. Because he has designed us to be responsible creatures. In his sovereignty, he has created us to be responsible beings. Look at First John chapter two, verse 15 through 17. It's clear here. First John, chapter two, beginning at verse 15. The world has given us choices. I want you to choose, not the values of the world. Don't love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, love of the Father is not in Him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life, it is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away, and also its lust. But, catch this, the one who does the will of God lives forever. The context is responsibility. I want you to be responsible to make wise choices. Don't choose the values of this world. If you want eternal life, you want eternal living, you want eternal value, choose the will of God. The one who does the will of God lives forever. They didn't make us robots. He made us beings who have choices and then He exhorts us to make choices consistent with the will of God. In the context, you could make bad choices. Don't do that. Ephesians five 17, Don't be foolish. Understand what the will of God is. So God is sovereign. He has a plan. He has a will. We must be responsible. We, we don't get to say, well, God's going to do whatever He wants to do anyway. I, I can't do anything about it, so does it matter? No, 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 It does matter. What we do matters. He says, understand what the will of God is. Your knowledge matters. Choose the will of God. This matters. It, it, it matters for eternity. It matters. So those who live forever, choose the will of God. Of God. So it matters greatly. We are responsible beings. We don't get a choice in this that um, to say, or I, what will be, what will be. No, no, no. We need to make moves towards the will of God. Our moves matter, not just God's moves. Look at Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Said clearly here, Matthew 7. Verse 21 says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to heaven, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Who does? But, this one, the one who does the will of my Father, who is in heaven, will enter. We are responsible to act. We're responsible to think. We must think and do the will of God. Understanding the will of God is an essential ingredient to living well. We would be frustrated if we don't uh, get it. Uh, so we are to know the will of God and we're to live consistent with it. Um, what does that mean? Um, you know, Think, think about how, how do I live consistent with the will of God? Well, the will of God is the Word of God. God is revealed to us what He wants us to do. He's revealed, this is what I want you to do. I've written it down. I've given it to you. I've preserved it with, without error so that you can have it. It thoroughly furnishes you for every good work to, to fulfill the Word, word of God. It's, um, it, it's like, you remember the verse Micah 6-8? He has shown you, O oh man, what is good. And He gives us three things to, to do justice, to love mercy, to walk humbly with our God. We sing that song. But think about the phrase, He's shown you a oh man. It, he, he's not kept this a secret. You know what the will of God is. You know, think about the Ten Commandments. Who really doesn't know them? You might not can recite them well. You might not know them all in order. But when you start thinking through them, pragmatically, you you come to the conclusion, yeah, I knew that. Because he has shown us what his will is. Um, The first commandment, not to have any other gospel us. If you know that God is created, if you know you didn't create your birth, you didn't get here by your design, you know what's good and right, don't you? What is good and right is to thank the person who established you it's just it just makes sense it's just courteous it's just nice you know the will of God the will of God is to honor the lord your God first and foremost because he created you' he's, he's given you your existence uh, the second commandment you know if he's given you your existence you don't want to disrespect him you want to honor him in the way he wants to be honored that's the second commandment the third commandment you don't speak in his presence in a profane profane way you don't you know just curse and all of that in front of him because he can slap you down he's in charge you know that it just makes sense the fourth commandment to to remember the sabbath day and keep it holy everybody knows since creation we work 6 days and rest on the seventh but people know that you're born into a world in this 7 day cycle of working you know if you're not working you're being you're not you're being uh, you lack responsibility. Work is important. The fourth commandment is work six days, rest, rest in Christ. We know this. You know we, we might not be able to 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 just say, but we we know that that's yeah that's that's what we're supposed to do. The fifth commandment to honor your parents. You know, it amazes me. We just honored me the other day that you know why do we put so much. Hope and stock as a parent in hearing that little baby say, "Love you, Daddy," or "Love you, Mom," or just and they say it by say, "Dad, Dad," or "Mom, Mom," you know. And we just rejoice. Why? We have spent the last two years of our life giving everything we can for that moment. You know, nine years of carrying the baby. Yeah, if you I had to listen to me, I'd cry too. I'm, you know, sorry. Sometimes those kids, I just wake them up and scare them. Uh, but you know, we we think, Lord, you've given me this child, and we carry it for nine months, and then we go for a whole another year, and we sacrifice, and we change diapers, and we clean it up, and we do all that. We feed them, we do all this, all this, all this, and all of a sudden, the baby says, Dad, "Dada, Mama, yes," and we love it because they are finally responding. They honor me. By saying my name. We're born knowing it is right and good to honor our parents. They are giving their lives for us. If we show them disrespect, it's just wrong. We know that command. Honor your father and mother. The sixth commandment, not to murder. We know life is created in the image of God, and we should not destroy it. It's it's in the image of God from conception. We know we should, should, should do life. Because God created it. Seventh commandment, we know we ought to keep our word. We shouldn't be adulterous. We shouldn't be unfaithful. We shouldn't be fornicators. If we make a vow to somebody, I'm going to be your husband for life. I'm going to be your wife for life. We know we need to do that. That's the seventh commandment. The eighth commandment, we know we should not steal. God has given us all property. It's our private property. He has called us to be stewards. We are responsible for it. We know we're not supposed to take it from somebody else. We're supposed to be stewards of what he's given to us. The ninth commandment, we shouldn't be lying. We should be honoring truth. Christ is truth. Tenth commandment, we shouldn't be coveting because God has made us content. I mean, oh man, you know what the will of God is. You know it, right? Do it. Keeping The Ten Commandments is a summary of the will of God. Everything we choose to do needs to be consistent with the will of God. Or you're running into a head-on collision with God, and you're going to be frustrated. We are responsible. Our side is to obey the commands of God. We know the will. It's not as complicated as we try to make it. It's, It's... thinking that, God, you're sovereign, you're in charge, I need to be submissive. You've told us what to do. I need to make choices consistent with what you've told us to do because these are the tracks you run this earth on. These are the tracks I must run on. If I don't run on these tracks, I'm off track, and I'm going to get in trouble for it. So the will of God's not that complicated, and we we constantly try to make it more complicated than it is, and we, we so easily get off. So I put down four temptations I think we easily get into that throw us away from the will of God instead of back into it so don't don't get caught up in these temptations I know you can live through these temptations without messing up but you can also go into these temptations and mess up badly Satan is a great schemer one of the temptations we have is trusting open doors so I know it's the will of God that I should do this why because I got an open door Because what we mean by that is it's just easy and convenient. God gave me a parking place right in front of this busy building, and I went in, the interview was a breeze. I got the job. I know it's God's will. Why do you know it's God's will? Because it it was easy. God gave me the parking space and gave me a successful interview. That's not why you know it's the will of God. That's what Satan wants you to believe, that it'll just be easy if it's the will of God. Where did we buy this lie? When did we start buying that, that God designed life to be easy and convenient? Where is that verse? I would love to claim that promise, but I don't see God saying, life was designed for you to be easy and and convenient. And yet we seem to think it's the will of God if it's easy and convenient. That's not what God says. That's what Satan wants us to believe. And he's given us some examples of times, I mean, we can all look at some times and say, well, that was just easy. Thank you, Lord. I'm not saying we shouldn't be grateful for easy stuff and convenient stuff. God does bless us with a lot of easy stuff, a lot of convenient stuff. That's his blessing. But he doesn't promise us life will be easy and convenient, and you will know the will of God because it's easy and convenient. As a matter of fact, uh, this week in dawn, uh, we were looking at the book of Judges. Let me just turn there as an example. You could be, be thinking in your mind, Judges chapter 2, be, be thinking in your mind um, of um, all, the, all the key leaders in the Bible, all the trials they went through. Their life was nothing... That was easy or convenient about it. As a matter of fact, when the Apostle Paul got saved, people said, God, don't, don't save him. He's such a blasphemer and persecutor of the church. And God's response to that was, yeah, but you don't know how much he's about to suffer. He will suffer greatly to enter into the kingdom of God. God knew his days, the first and the last, and he knew Paul's days were going to include a lot of suffering. Paul gets that too. He says, I've spent days without clothes, days of uh, tread and water in the ocean. I've been stoned three times. I've been left for dead. Paul went through lots of suffering. You would never convince the apostle Paul the will of God is easy and convenient. That, that's a lie from the devil. Uh, Judges chapter 2, beginning at verse 20, says, says, So the anger of the Lord burned against Israel, and he said, Because this nation has transgressed my covenant, which I commanded their fathers, and has not listened to my voice, I also will no longer drive out before them any of the nations which Joshua left when he died. Catch this, verse 22, In order to test Israel by them, whether they will keep the way of the Lord, to walk in it as their fathers did, or not. Now catch what's going on here. Joshua just died. So the first generation, after they entered the promised land, They just entered the land flowing with milk and honey, right? Everything's supposed to be easy and wonderful, and everybody's supposed to be just walking around with their heads in the clouds saying, wow, unbelievable, I can't believe God has just given us this wonderful land. And God said, no, that's not not how it's going to happen. I just saw what your fathers did, how they forgot me, and so... Yes, I've just brought you into the land flowing with milk and honey, but I'm going to leave a lot of bad people around you. And I'm going to leave a lot of bad animals around you. And you're going to have to fight and fight and fight and fight and fight all the time. And the reason I've left you all of this trouble and fighting is because I want to see, are you going to do life faithful to me or not? Are you going to be asking God's will or my will? What, what are you going to do? Because your father's messed up and they went with their will. And I want to test to see, are you going to go with my will or not? God has designed lots of conflict in life. This whole matter of the will of God is one of those conflicts. God gives us conflicts for the purpose of testing us to see, are we evaluating life through the lens of Scripture? Are we saying this is consistent with the will of God, so I'm going to do it? It doesn't matter that it's hard. It doesn't matter that it requires me to work six days and I never get to retire. What matters is it is the will of God and I will walk in it. And he's commanded us, understand the will of God and walk in it. So don't fall to that temptation that Satan throws out. Boy, that's easy, that's convenient, must be God's way. God never promised it that way. Number two, don't trust the fleece. Don't throw out fleeces. The fleece story is Judges six thirty-six through 40. You remember that. Where Gideon, and by the way, just so you know, Gideon knew the will of God. The whole fleece thing was not to figure out the will of God. The fleece was to figure out, well, it wasn't to figure out anything. It was to give him greater confidence in the will of God. God directly told Gideon, Gideon, I want you to lead my people and go crush the Midianites' will of God. End of story. Gideon, you're my leader. Gideon said, I'm not sure you want me. I'm I'm nobody. God says, no, you're my leader, and I want you to go crush the Midianites. And that's when Gideon says, well, could I put some, some wool out on the ground, and if you would send dew on that, but not around it, then I'll know the will of God? And God's thinking, I already told you the will of God. You know the will of God. You're just wanting, I get it, you're wanting greater confidence. Remember Epaphras' prayer? I'm praying that you will be fully assured in the will of God. We struggle with this confidence thing. When it's right here in front of us in black and white. What do you mean you don't know the will of God? Yes, you do. God has written it down and revealed it to us. And so we we follow the pattern of Gideon and say, well, can we... Can we get some confirmation on this, God? And that's what Gideon's doing. And there's no command in Scripture that says do what Gideon did. Come up with some plan. And you probably don't have goat skin or sheep skin that you can put out and ask for do one way or the other. And so you say, well, my friend Joe's asked me for a thousand bucks. How do I know the will of God? God, I'll tell you what. If he calls me in the next 15 minutes, I'll know it's your will. That's fleece. Or if he emails me in the next day, I'll know it's your will. That's not how you figure out the will of God. I mean, if God has told you to be generous, has God told you to take care of your own? Is what you're doing consistent with his will? Has he designed you with means and ability? I mean, he has showed you the will of God. Don't fall for Satan's traps. Satan loves to... Give us his schemes. Why? You remember Satan threw the same scheme at Jesus. And he says, you know, Jesus, God promised, Matthew chapter 4, God promised that he would take care of you, right? So why don't you just throw yourself off this cliff here and the angels will, will catch you and you'll be fine. What did Jesus say? Matthew 4, verse 7, he says, Do not put the Lord your God to a test. You don't test his will. His will is inerrant. It's infallible. Don't have to test it. Don't have to evaluate it. It's there. You know it. I know it. We're going to go with God. Is the way Jesus responded to Satan. And we need to learn the same thing. Third way we get tempted is we uh, trust random selection of scripture. And I know some wonderful stories of people who've opened the Bible and says, This is what I just did this one day and God told me what to do. God can do that. I'm not saying He can't. I'm just saying nowhere does He command you to find out His will that way. I mean, you you, you turn to your Bible and you point your finger and it says, uh, Judas went out and hanged himself. Hmm. What do I do with that? So you flip a little bit further. Go and do likewise. Oh. (laughs) That's the will of God? That's insane. Don't do that. God has not commanded us to find the will of God that way and I hear stories of people doing that all the time and you're ignoring the patterns God's already given. The scripture he's already and, and you're taking scripture out of context to make that work most of the time. Number 4, don't trust personal impressions. By that, don't just trust your feelings. Now, should you have good feelings about good things? Yes. Should you have bad feelings about bad things? Yes. But feelings are not reliable, especially right after eating that double bean burrito. Okay? You just never know how you're going to feel about something when you've eaten a beam, double bean burrito. So don't trust your feelings. Yes, I hope you feel good about good stuff and bad about bad stuff, but God has not said, do what you feel. God has told us to choose the will of God and He's told us what the will of God is. Okay, so let's break it down. Put it all together. Avoid the easy temptations. Don't trust untrustworthy mediums like random selection of Scripture, fleece, open doors, gut feelings, those kind of things. What do you trust? You trust Scripture. You trust people who use Scripture, the saints, use it rightly, and you trust Prayer, and let me show you those verses. Look at Proverbs chapter um, two, verses one through six. We need to trust Scripture. God has given us Scripture to show us His will. Proverbs chapter two, the first six verses. Will receive my words and treasure my commandments. Let me say two things right here. Receive it. Here it is. God says, take it. Here's my word. Number two, meditate on it. So receive it. Meditate means to think in view of doing. Lord, let me think about this verse until I understand the choice I need to make, what you want me to do with it. So you you read the scriptures. You treasure it. You think about it until... Uh, The commandment applies, and you understand the choices you need to make. Verse 2, make your ear attentive to wisdom. Incline your heart to understand. See, understand what the will of the Lord is. It's His Scripture. Verse 3, for if you cry for discernment, lift your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver. Well, let me go back to cry. Verse 3, I'm just skipping ahead later. I was going to say, another way you find the will of God, not only through Scripture not only for, through the saints, but through supplication. Here's an example of supplication. If you cry for discernment, James chapter 1, verse 5 says, He who lacks wisdom, let him ask. Ask God. Pray. God, I don't think I really understand here what your will is. God says, well, ask me what it is. And I, watch me make the word of God come alive for you. Don't you understand I sent Christ as a cross so that I could equip you in my will. I, I, I established the church so that you would be taught everything whatsoever I command, so that you would know my will and you would do it. I want you to know this, so ask. So we seek the word, meditate upon the word, treasure the word, ask God to show us things through the word. <coughs> Verse four: If you seek her as silver. Search for her as for hidden treasure. Do you realize the Bible is a treasure? It's your treasure. It's my treasure. It's precious. Um, Do you seek it that way? Verse 5, Then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. Basically, you're going to know God's will. You're going to discover it. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge. And understanding. James says the same thing. If you need wisdom, ask of God, and the wisdom which is from above will come down to you. God will make his will known. Psalm 1 talks about the righteous man is one who reads God's word every day, meditates upon it day and night, and God makes his way prosperous. Why is it prosperous? Because we're walking the will of God, and we're not running head-on uh, against God. Uh, Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2 says, Let your minds be renewed in the word of God and the will of God day after day after day. So how do you know the word of will of God? You read it. You treasure it. You meditate upon it. and, And you ask yourself every single decision you make, is it consistent with what I've just read and prayed for and sought? And I have sought the will of God, and I can always evaluate it through the summary of the will of God, which is the Ten Commandments. This choice, which I'm about to make, and it doesn't matter what the choice is, whether it's to drive five miles over the speed limit or five miles under the speed limit, to drive the speed limit, whether it's to date, whether it's to get married, whether it's to be faithful to your spouse, doesn't matter what it is, what the choice is, the choice you ask yourself, this choice allows me, does it allow me to worship God? First Commandment. Does it allow me to do God's worship His way, second commandment. Does it allow me to be pure in my speech or profane, third commandment. Does it allow me to work responsibly and to rest in Christ, fourth commandment. Does it allow me to um, honor mom and dad and respect the authorities God's designed to be over me, fifth commandment. Does it, does it uh, uh, help me to preserve life, sixth commandment. Is it it a choice that keeps me honorable in my relationships? Seventh commandment. Is it it a choice that enables me to respect private property and to work with what God's given me? Eighth commandment. Is it it a choice that that keeps me from lies and keeps me centered on the truth? The ninth commandment. Is it it a choice that uh, takes lust out of my heart, deals with the heart issue? Tenth commandment. I mean... No matter what your choice is, you start going through the summary of God's will and you say, oh, I know what the God, will of God is on this. But why? Because God wants us to. It's, it's not complicated. So use Scripture to come up with an understanding of the will of God. Uh, use prayer. The third thing, use counselors. Look at uh, Proverbs chapter 1, verse 5. A lot of times we make some of our toughest decisions and we don't ever ask the church even though we have been told time and time again you don't have all the gifts you need the body of christ i'm not designed for you to do life alone proverbs 1 verse 5 a wise man will hear and increase in learning and a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel you got to go seek it go ask people For wise counsel, I'm coming to you because you read the Bible. I want you to think about everything you've read and then tell me what you think. Uh, That's who God wants us to seek after. Look at chapter 11, verse 14, same book. Chapter 11, verse 14 says, Where there is no guidance, people fall. But in the abundance of counselors, there's victory. When I'm seeking to make crucial decisions, I ask two or three folks, four folks. I ask folks I respect that are in the Word of God. I want a multitude of counselors. I want everybody who knows the Word of God saying the same thing, going the same direction. If I get somebody who's going a different direction, then I've got to evaluate. Is that person reading their Bible? Is that really person giving me their will or God's will? But godly people will consistently give you the same advice. And the reason is because they're reading the same book. They're talking to the same creator. And you begin to get that confidence Gideon was looking for. And you get it through Christian counselors. And all of us here can be Christian counselors. You don't have to have a degree in it. You have to have time in the will of God in it. You've got to know God's commands. You've got to be the one who's reading the scripture and treasuring it on a daily basis. That's who I'm going to Those kind of people are going to give me godly counsel. Chapter 15, verse 22 says, Without consultation. So without those counselors, plans are frustrated. But with many counselors, they succeed. Chapter 24, verse 6. For by wise guidance you will wage war, and in the abundance of counselors there is victory. Psalm 119, verse 24. I have all these circled in my Bible because when people come to me for counseling, one of the first things I say is, you know, you, you just made a wise choice. One of the most important things you could do would be seek scripture and pray. The third thing, you sought out godly counsel. You shouldn't be looking over your shoulder saying, who's seeing me go into the preacher's office? You should be looking over your shoulder. Hey, you see me? I'm going for wise counsel. That's a good thing. Why are we embarrassed about that? We shouldn't be. It's one of the ways God helps wise people continue, maintain being wise. Psalm 119 verse 24 says, Your testimonies also are my delight. They are my counselors. Wow. God's testimonies. Speaking of His law speaking of His commands, speaking of His witnesses, those who know His laws and His commands. They are counselors. They know what we need to do. Let me conclude with Ecclesiastes. By the way, uh, you can turn there to the last chapter, Ecclesiastes chapter 12. God's been putting it on my heart lately. I, I'd love to get some survey response from you that maybe after I finish... The book of Ephesians, Lord willing, I will finish the book of Ephesians one day. We're in chapter 5. We're moving. Almost to chapter 6. But when I get to the end, it's been putting on my heart, maybe I should uh, preach through Ecclesiastes. So I'm, I'm trying to decide, should, should I do that? Um, I've also been trying to decide, should I preach through the Ten Commandments again? Because I want to make sure the next generation knows how to use the Ten Commandments as you've heard me use it here in this sermon. So that you know how, just like that, to use the will of God to make wise choices, so those are some things that are going through my head and i'm I'm wondering um, oh, what God wants me to do next, and uh, I'm seeking your godly counsel on it. all right uh, Ecclesiastes, I know it's in my Bible somewhere, there it is. Ecclesiastes chapter twelve verse thirteen says the conclusion when all's been heard is, and you remember the book of Ecclesiastes he's trying to to go through the through life saying, Let's suppose we do this choice. How will that work for us? We pursue pleasure. How will it work for us if we choose building buildings? How will it work for us if we just pursue sexuality? He goes through just about everything you can think of through the book of Ecclesiastes. He says, okay, now that we've gone through and chosen every choice really possible unto man, he said, here's the conclusion. When all's been heard is, this is it, fear God, keep his commandments. And this is not just for me, Solomon says This is for everybody. That's the conclusion. That we need to, number one, trust, revere, worship, bow down. Why? Because God's sovereign and we're not. Life should be understanding the sovereign side and understanding the sovereign side means we need to be submissive, fearing God in everything we do. And second, Since he's sovereign and we're supposed to be responsible, we need to make sure everything we do is consistent with the commands of Christ. And that's the conclusion of a man who had means to sort it all out. That God gives us. You know the will of God. Do it. Just do it. You know whether or not the choice in front of you. Is honoring to God consistent with His Word? When you know that, don't yield to temptations. Do understand what the will of God is and do it. Don't be a fool. That's Ephesians 5, verse 17. Let's pray together. Father, we so easily get sidetracked and we live life foolishly. Forgive the fool. Forgive us, O Lord. We've been foolish time and time again. How awesome it would be if we were never foolish again. If all the choices from here on would be consistent with your word, consistent with your counsel, consistent with the cries of our heart to ask from God and to be directed by you. Lord, direct us in your way Thank you for revealing it to us. And we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.